1: Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. I thank you so much for tuning in again, and I welcome you to go to outcomesrocket.health/reviews, where you could rate and review today's podcast because he is an outstanding individual and contributor to healthcare. His name is Ryan Howells. He's the principal at Levitt Partners in the greater Atlanta area. He is a senior healthcare and business development exec. He's focused on a lot of areas, including state, federal, and commercial client experiences in health plan claims, operations, program integrity, consulting, Medicare, Medicaid, insurance, Exchanges. He's got a wealth of knowledge, and his success includes overseeing large scale, complex, time sensitive, political, and highly visible tech implementations. I want to open up the mic to this outstanding man and have him fill in any of the gaps of the intro. Ryan, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks, Saul. Appreciate the opportunity.
1: It's a pleasure to have you. And I just want to know, Ryan, we heard a little bit of the amazing stuff that you guys are doing during Health 2.0. But why did you decide to get into healthcare to begin with?
0: Well, when I was in undergrad school, I was trying to think of what I wanted to be when I grow up, and there's probably a little bit of that still left in me—curiosity <laughs> <laughs> left. But as I was thinking through that, I—I I wanted to, I think, kind of center in the business world, but then also focused on trying to make a difference in people's lives. I didn't want to go pure business, but I wanted to find a way to make an impact as well. And healthcare seemed to be a natural option, but at the time I thought that the only way that I could get into healthcare was actually running a hospital. So I went and got an MHA degree and said, that's where I want to be and recognized that healthcare is far more complex and far more difficult than anybody could imagine. And uh, through all kinds of different avenues, ended up kind of spending most of my career actually in health IT over the last 20 years. And that has been a a nice growing field and, and continues to evolve over time. But it's been great. I love complexity. I love solving problems. And both are significant opportunities here, specifically in healthcare. Yeah,
1: I totally agree with you. If you don't like complexity or solving problems, healthcare is not for you. <laughs> well, there you go. That's <laughs> and, right. And, yeah. And so, Ryan, what a cool story. You got in from the provider side and administrator, and now you kind of just gravitated toward IT, plenty of challenges in IT. What, what do you think a hot topic that should be on every medical leader's agenda today?
0: Well, so one of the things that we're focused on here at Levit Partners is this idea about interoperability, but not necessarily looking at it from the traditional perspective of how two different covered entities exchange data with one another uh, via HIPAA, but we're actually focusing on how consumers can gain access to that data outside of HIPAA. It's through a project we like to call the Karen Alliance, and it's a, it's an opportunity to actually share electronic data exchange with consumers in a meaningful way, and we're we're pretty excited about it.
1: That is pretty cool, and listeners, you got to check out the Karen Alliance. We're gonna dive into this a little bit deeper, but if you're if you want to ask your friend Google, it's actually C A R I N Karen Alliance, and so definitely gonna hear a little bit more about that from Ryan today, Ryan. What do you think now is an exciting project that you're working on? Yeah.
0: So I guess just to continue, Saul, and kind of that overview of kind of where things, where we think things are moving towards, I think there's, with the recent announcements, for example, with Amazon and some of the other kind of employer plays that are out there. In fact, a couple of years ago, there was a group called the Health Transformation Alliance out there too. We see kind of the market shifting towards kind of three primary payers. Levitt Partners is just a little bit of background for your listeners. Levitt Partners is a group of consultants that were um, organized by former Secretary Mike Levitt when he left public office About nine years ago, as Secretary of Health and Human Services. And so, what he tells us is that there's this broad arc of uh, 40 year change continuum within healthcare. We're about 25 years into this 40-year change process. And I think what we see is, from a especially from a, a payer perspective and a decision-maker perspective, kind of three main drivers of the healthcare economy over the next few years. One is employers, one is state governments, and then the other would be the consumer themselves. We see the consumer, the individual, to be primary in their care over the, the ensuing years. And we think that that's a really significant opportunity. So from answer your question, our project perspective, that was one of the reasons why we started this Karen Alliance is we felt as though there was an opportunity to take advantage of the great, the ability for consumers to get access to more of their data and by so doing, they can make better decisions and better choices on behalf of themselves and their family and as a result, hopefully be able to achieve the triple aim in healthcare, which we're all trying to achieve.
1: Yeah, Ryan, this is interesting. I love the framework and, and thank you for the synopsis there on on what Levitt does. I tend to gravitate and I think a lot of people in general that are healthcare leaders gravitate toward vision and you gotta make your own vision, but you also have to learn from others. And so you you painted this picture of a forty year change that's happening. The three main changes being employers, government, and consumers. What is the end? If we're only 25 years into it, what does year 40 look like?
0: Well, I think year 40 is going to look a lot more in terms of of a value-based care continuum or value-based care model than it does today with fee-for-service. I think we have noticed, we do a lot of work on the Hill. In fact, I'm in DC here today, Oh, very cool. And we find ways where in opportunities, we talk to folks on both sides of the aisle, both Democrats and Republicans. And one thing that they definitely agree on is healthcare costs too much. So from their perspective, no matter who's in office or who's running um, Congress, we see an opportunity for these groups to come together to find ways in which they can reduce costs. Now, how they reduce costs is a matter of consternation a little, a little bit, but they definitely see that healthcare does cost too much. And they're finding ways to be able to make sure that both from a cost and an access perspective, they can make healthcare more affordable, but also more accessible, too. And, and that's also kind of passion of ours to trying to find a way to make that happen.
1: Very cool. That's very insightful. So when thinking about the Karen Alliance, should the listeners think and associate that with one of the three pillars?
0: I think so. I think they associate it with the pillar of consumerism. So let me give you, I know a lot of your listeners are in the provider space. So just kind of tactically speaking, how this would relate to their, potentially their current life, all the EHR vendors in accordance with, so there was a, a law passed, I'm sure your listeners are aware of MACRA, and specifically within MACRA, there's a, a, a component of MIPS associated yep. with that. And MIPS actually offer within MIPS, there's a specific stipulation within the quality payment program that these providers, about a half a million of them that are participating in this program, need to actually exchange data via APIs with third-party applications. And so all of the EHR vendors got together a few years ago and decided on an approach for how they're going to exchange that data. It's called the Argonaut Project. And they agreed on what the format would be and how they would exchange it and how these APIs would be configured into their systems. And so as we speak, Cerner was about six or eight weeks ago and um, they had their kind of certified technology out there. Epix was a little bit last year, but all of them are being implemented as we speak. And as a result, a lot of these providers are having questions about, well, if I install these APIs, they give third-party access to my data. What does that mean? Is it part of HIPAA? is it outside of HIPAA? Uh, do I need to actually validate that this is a good application? How do I ensure that the data is secure? How do I authenticate these users that are coming into my system? There's all kinds of questions. There's policy questions, business questions, technology questions. And so what we did is, as I mentioned about two years ago, we got a group together and said, under the leadership of uh, David Brayler and David Blumenthal and Anish Chopra and Mike Levitt, who are our co-founders, and said, what's interesting about this new world that we live in is we've always thought about interoperability as it relates to two covered entities exchanging data with each other that's optional data exchange. It's not necessarily mandated under any law, and that's the reason competitors don't share data with each other. But what's interesting is when the APIs get installed this year, there's an opportunity for a consumer to invoke their individual right of access under HIPAA, which actually mandates that that data exchange be sent from a covered entity to a non-covered entity. And we don't like calling ourselves non-covered entities, but we are a consumer, and as a consumer, we're a non-covered entity. So our right to request that data is mandated under HIPAA, but the data exchange itself is outside of HIPAA. So why does that matter? It matters because we don't have to assign big BAA agreements or dersa like agreements to share data with consumers, we just give them their data. So we are working on the workflow, the technology workflow, the policy workflow, some of the operational workflow associated with that data exchange and how we can potentially expedite the ability for these systems to be interoperable using and leveraging the consumer at the center of that data exchange process. And that's the kind of the exciting work that we're we're focused on.
1: Yeah, that's super super exciting. And we were chatting with one of our previous guests Ryan and I think that she was saying that the law was actually going to mandate these API requirements this year but it was pushed to next year. Is that is that right? Yeah. So under MIPS,
0: every provider that's actually participating in the MIPS program needs to have the APIs installed by January 1st, 2019. And, and you're right. The previous guest is correct. They delayed that for one year, primarily because the EHR vendors weren't ready yet. So they got a little bit of a delay on that, but hard pressed to believe that they're going to get another delay on it. I think everyone is getting to the point where they are ready and they're moving toward that that endpoint. In fact, I think you're going to see this year a significant push by a lot of different individuals, both in the administration and other aspects of the Hill and other ways, that's saying that you know interoperability, specifically this consumer directed interoperability of, of giving patients access to their data is a primary important piece of the of the puzzle of how we actually solve for developing value-based care models.
1: That's super interesting. And listeners, if you're like me, I like having visuals and they've got some really good visuals. Uh, KarenAlliance.com, if you click on the what we do link, there's a really great picture of the current state versus the future vision. I'll have a link for you all on outcomesrocket.health slash Karen, C-A-R-I-N. You're going to have all the show notes that Ryan and I discuss here today and the insights that he provides, as well as links to any of the things that we provide. So anyway, just something to to think about really shows the current state could be very fragmented, and then the future state very neatly organized with access. What would you say one of the highlights and progress points that you would say is one of the proudest right now with this project?
0: Well, I, I think there's two. One is this breakthrough of what we call must share versus may share. So this goes back to the point it kind of I made earlier, which is HIPAA related data exchange between two covered entities is a may share situation. If I want to do pop health, for example, hmm. and I'm trying to get every single hospital in my specific city to be able to share data with me, so I can have a better understanding of what's happening there, it's all about a may share type of agreement. I don't have to share it with you uh, if I don't want to, unless it's obviously mandated by state law, but there is no kind of must share associated with, related exchange. But when a consumer requests access to the data, it is a must-share situation in all situations. And so as a result of that, Top Health starts with the individual, so you could be able to start to aggregate that data through the individual. And so that's one big breakthrough. I think the other breakthrough is what we have seen in what's called the Tesca. So the ON- ONC, Office of National Coordinator oversees Health IT for the Country, just recently in January released what's called the Draft Trusted Exchange Framework. And it's a portion of the what's called common agreement. And that was a, a mandate that they had under 21st Century Cures to release that sometime last year. And they, they ended up doing that here in early January. What we like about the TEFCA, the, at least the draft trusted exchange, you can see that on healthit.gov on their home site or their web their homepage, I should say, on their website, is that they've had an opportunity to be able to pull that information in a lot of the comments, and you can your listeners can see that on our Page and under our ONC draft trusted exchange comments that we made back in August, they have been able to incorporate a lot of the ideas that we had about how to exchange data better with patients. And one of the breakthroughs that we had in the, the, the common agreement, the trusted exchange framework has actually incorporated, is the fact that I'm trying to solve the problem of identifying patients across systems. So, what we call identity proofing and authentication. One of the last summer as well, uh, NIST which is the group that is uh, the government agency that actually oversees security and ID proofing and other items for the federal government, they actually developed a set of uh, principles associated with trying to ID proof somebody across systems. That's basically saying, is Saul truly Saul across system A, B, and C? Think of it almost like a digital DMV. where you could get a digital credential, and that digital credential is the same as if you went into a DMV or a TSA, for example, to get your identity authenticated. Well, there's technology now that does that, and there's also guidelines now from NIST about how that should be done. And so we were one of the first organizations in the country to request that ONC look at trying to ID proof someone at what's called an identity assurance level two. And so I won't get into a lot of technical detail, probably I'm too far in the weeds at this point, but-
1: (laughs) No, it's um, pretty interesting though.
0: Here's what's great about it. We think that we have an ability, and we can get into more detail later, but we think we have an ability to be able to identity proof and authenticate someone across systems at a near 99% plus confidence level. basically the same as if you would see it kind of at the DMV level. And we have a way to authenticate you without using a username and password um, across systems and do it in a more secure, a much, much more secure way than we do it today with usernames and passwords. And as a result of that, we think we can actually start to exchange data more securely with consumers. And that alone is obviously going to be able to significantly decrease the patient matching issue that we have today or the record matching issue that we have today. We'll be able to do that a a lot better in the future.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great call out and congratulations on those two things. I mean, really great progress. And when you were talking about the patient privacy and matching correctly, I think of the unique patient identifier. And so what are your thoughts on that and how this fits into it?
0: Yeah, so we don't like saying patient identifier because people start to freak out when you say (laughs) stuff like that. So we use the term digital credential. Okay. And there's a difference. So when you hear Dr. Rucker from the ONC speak, he'll say things like, we have a national patient identifier. It's called the social security number. And then kind of the healthcare industry says, no, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. That's not, we don't, we've already been down that road before. So we're not going to have, the industry isn't really, there's all kinds of reasons why, but the industry is never really going to have a national patient identifier. People on both sides of the aisle on the Hill aren't really ready to do something like that. But what they are willing to do, Yeah. But what they are willing to do is they're willing to be able to establish these digital credentials. So mm. again, think of it like this kind of digital DMV. You get a trusted credential from a source that is essentially user proof to you. And that digital credential could be used anywhere you need it to, whether it's through banking or through telecom or through healthcare or wherever you see that fit, because it does a lot more than just have one single number. The folks that I'm speaking to in the ID proofing world and identity and access management world have some pretty amazing technology that that talks not only about just the regular identifiers you think about, name, address, date of birth, all the things that we normally think about. Those are all publicly available types of information, but even behavioral analytics, how you hold your phone, which applications you select when you're on your phone, how long you're actually involved or engaged in telephone conversations on the phone itself, which cell phone towers you've hit over the last 30 days. They can do some pretty interesting things with your phone now to it's pretty really, amazing. really know that you are who you say you are. Wow. So it gets beyond just having a single number that's associated with you. It actually gets into all kinds of other data elements as well that's associated with you.
1: Very, very interesting, Ryan. Sounds like you definitely have been taking a deep dive into this and uh, very intriguing, uh, the direction that this will take. At this point on the back end, you know, everybody's talking about Fire and integration to this. Can you touch on a little bit? I know maybe some of the listeners may or may not be familiar with it. Maybe you could highlight what it is and how you guys are using it for your program.
0: Yeah, so Fire, the Fast Health Interoperability Resources, an API standard that has been developed, it's now under HL7, that it is really the standard that these EHR vendors are using to start to exchange data via the APIs. Folks are excited about it because unlike kind of HL7 v2, it's a lot more flexible it's a lot more supported and it's uh, a lot more uh, better documentation as well associated with it. There's all kinds of reasons for it, but these RESTful APIs provide an ability for data to be exchanged in a mean, very meaningful way. And there's been really thousands of them that have been created. In
1: fact, amazing. as part of the uptake is amazing, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it is. It really is amazing. I think people have been wanting this type of a solution, I think, for a while. I mean, APIs have existed for a while, but Specifically within healthcare, just having a flexible solution I think is valuable for it. The, the ONC is part of the, the TEFCA release that they had earlier, also released what's called the USCDI, U.S. Data Interoperability Set, which outlines a roadmap for the different data elements that need to be in place, they would like to see in place over the next kind of two, three years or so. And um, what's exciting, many of them, not all of them are actually fire-based and they have an ability to start to exchange this data in a meaningful way. We think that consumers can play a key role in that going forward. And we also think that third-party applications and open standards can also play a key role. And so we're working with the industry to develop more of those.
1: That is super fascinating, Ryan. And I'm excited for the things that you guys have going on there. Obviously, we we only have limited time on today's podcast, so maybe we'll do a part two to this. But what would you close this, this discussion on, Karen, as far as like, what should the listeners take away from Karen?
0: As a takeaway, I think if, if you're a provider, especially, and you're frustrated with, with just interoperability in general, if you're frustrated with the fact that you have kind of these patients coming in and the records aren't matched appropriately, et cetera. I think this is just a new way of looking at those problems. And it's a it's a way in which you can involve the, the consumer, the patient, the families, or caregivers in the process of trying to be able to link their records to them as specific unique individuals. I think definitely the technology is there. And it's also a chance for you to be able to share data from your EHR. To third-party applications to make them meaningful, useful, relevant, have the data and analytics that you're looking for as well. I think there's so many of these applications out there. Someone told me at one point there's over 200,000 health IT applications out in the Apple iStore or Google Play. Wow, that's a lot. But they're all ready to be able to make use of the data if they can get access to it. So I think engaging the, the application community in some of the work that you're trying to do strategically as an organization, I think will help tremendously as you try to accomplish those goals and Certainly, if you're a consumer and you want to get access to the data, I think that's relevant. I think I just leave with this last item, which is this is public information The Apple just announced, I think it was about a week ago now, that they have the ability now in your iPhone to, with the 11.03 release, to be able to, it's the beta release, to access all of your data that you have from your different providers that you've been to. So as long as you go in, you register with the portal and you gain access to that, you can be able to supply Apple that information and they can go out and get your data. And the great news about it is it's highly secure. It's actually downloaded to your phone, not to the cloud. So it's on your hardware and you can actually aggregate your data from all the different providers that you've gone to. So that's a really exciting development. It's an important one. And I think you'll you'll see more of it in the future.
1: Yeah, Ryan, thank you so much for that. I, I think you did such a great job of simplifying and explaining a very complex topic. So, you know, it, it takes somebody that really is is understands it to simplify it the way you have. So really appreciate you doing that. Yeah, you're welcome. No problem. Uh, you know, Ryan, uh, one of the things that we do here is is a course. We build a, a quick syllabus for the listeners. And so it's what it takes to be successful in medicine today, the 101 today of Ryan. And so we're going to put a syllabus together, four questions, lightning round style, followed by a book and a podcast that you recommend the listeners. You ready? All right. I'm ready. (laughs) Awesome. What is the best way to improve health outcomes?
0: The best way to improve health outcomes is to measure it correctly and ensure that you're engaging both the provider and the consumer with the information, and the data that they need to be
1: successful
0: and make different decisions, more informed decisions than they have made in the
1: past. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
0: Running after the next big bright shiny object. <laughs> love it.
1: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change?
0: Talk to a lot of people. The more the do not get centered on just the same folks that you've talked to previously, talk to multiple sectors. We have a really unique business model here at Lever Partners where we frequently talk to multiple sectors within the healthcare industry. Mm-hmm we develop like 30 alliances a year and have this opportunity to really engage with folks from across healthcare. And, and when you do so, you, you gain some really interesting and new fresh insights.
1: You guys are like a think tank over there.
0: Well, we we don't like to sit around and pontificate per se. We actually <laughs> like actionable results. So we, <laughs> That is the we, difference. <laughs> we, 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 that's a big difference. Yeah. We, we, yeah love, that's true. we love bringing these folks together and just trying to actually create solutions. But we've got a lot of freedom and flexibility to do that. And we have a great leader that has helped us in, in navigating the waters and associated with that.
1: Yeah, okay, let me rephrase it. You're an action-taking organization of thinkers. There you go. Uh, there you go. A <laughs> bunch of folks who may, that may think
0: we're pretty smart, but we love hanging around other smart people too and solving problems. There you, you know, go.
1: I love it, Ryan. And one of my favorite quotes is you are the average of your five closest peers. So I guess you are who you hang out with. That's um, right. <laughs> What's one area of focus that should drive everything else in your organization? What's best for the consumer, the individual themselves?
0: I don't like using the word patient because that assumes they're going to come visit you somewhere, and I don't like using the word member because that denotes health plans. But I like using the word either individual or consumer. I think what's best for the person is really what where we need to get to in healthcare, and everything around it needs to drive the answer to that basic question.
1: Love it. What book and what podcast would you recommend to the listeners?
0: Well, the book that I love a lot, and I've read a few times, is is a book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. It's by um, Marshall Goldsmith. He's a USC professor, and um, he basically, he's world-renowned to actually be an advisor and essentially a life coach to folks that are uber-successful to try to help them get even more successful. And he outlines a series of steps on areas where he's seen uber-successful people not be able to get to the next level that they want to. And I find myself actually ticking that list off a number of those items huh. off. in of my homeless life, I should say. And so it's a, a great reminder about potential areas or blind spots you may have and the ways you can improve in your life. And it's uh, been a good book. What a great recommendation, um, Ryan. Podcast-wise, I've only heard a few of them so far, but I like them. It's a podcast called Healthy Dose by Bessemer and Oxyon, the partners. They're uh, the two guys that actually do some VC work in San Francisco, and they talk to some pretty interesting folks on their podcast. So there's a lot of them out there.
1: I love it, Ryan. And listeners, take note of these recommendations and the syllabus. But if you're driving or running or doing something awesome, which you probably are, Go to outcomesrockethealth Karen, That's C A R I N, and you're going to see Ryan Howell's thoughts, the things that we shared, the full transcript, as well as links to the book and podcast that he shared, and his organization. So, Ryan, this has been a ton of fun. What would you conclude as a closing thought here, and and then maybe you could share where the listeners could get a hold of you.
0: The concluding thought is that over the next few years, there is going to be a proliferation of open data in the market, both on the commercial side, Medicare and Medicaid as well, where data is going to be prolific in the industry. I think that the folks that are going to win in the future, are the folks that actually can be able to incorporate that data into their business, make sense of it and make it actionable and really change their business as a result. So data is really going to drive the future, I think, within healthcare. And that's where you're going to see a lot of this going and how we shape delivery systems and financial reform too. As far as getting hold of me, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's at R Ryan Howells. And then uh, Karen Alliance is actually out there on Twitter too. At C-A-R-I-N, Karen Alliance as well out there on Twitter. So
1: feel free to follow us. Outstanding, Ryan. And listeners, this is definitely a gentleman you want to follow, an organization you want to follow. And Ryan, I just want to say thank you once again for carving out time in your really busy day to share these insights with us. We really appreciate it.
0: Happy to. Thanks for the time, Saul.